0: so much power comes from being on the same page with your spouse or your partner and your kids and communicating with your kids. Right. Um, because if you've got one partner that's eating a certain way or isn't all in, it can be really challenging. And I applaud my wife for being so all in with me. And there, cause there are times where I'm like, Hey, we're late for whatever. We're trying to get out of the house. And she's like, we have got to pack the food. And, and it might be, it might be a, uh, I got a flight that we're going to get on, right? We're going to go back to Portugal this summer. And you better believe my wife is going to be thinking ahead and planning better than I actually with what we're going to bring on the plane, because we are not going to eat that crap. We're just not going to, it's just not worth it. You've got this one life to live this beautiful etheric body. We're not going to eat that crap. And it's not even good, right?
1: Welcome to The Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is back on the show. Aaron Goldstein is back. And Aaron is a chef, he's a teacher, an entrepreneur dedicated to helping others reach their potential through food. He's a graduate of Northeastern University and the New England Culinary Institute. His experiences have spanned fine dining restaurants in the Northeast, to Michelin star restaurants in Italy, to opening a restaurant in China, which I didn't know. He has taught hundreds of lessons along the way, from an organic farm cooking school, to medical students learning food as medicine. In 2020, he and his family moved to Europe to cook for the new Village Forest School in Piedmont, Italy. They then moved to Portugal, where Aaron built an online cooking course geared to support individuals and families through their journeys in food, cooking, and thriving as humans. He now leads a farm-to-table school lunch program in Austin, Texas, where he lives with his wife. And son, and I believe there's another, there's another young one there too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget is, that one, Aaron. <laughs> no, no, he joined us. Yeah, I need to update that bio. Damn, uh, a couple months ago. Yeah,
1: because no, I, 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 Aaron, and I haven't talked for a while, but but I knew there was a there was a there was a new addition to the family. So, um, but but Aaron, so the last time we talked was, I believe, back in 2020, and you were. Like I was just saying, you were in Portugal, you were living in Portugal, you were working on this online program. Just tell us what you've been up to since.
0: Yeah, well, so that was last year. That was, um, I think it must have been the spring when, yeah, we had launched the course. And we were loving our life in the south of Portugal, right by the beach. And, you know, the universe had other plans for me and for us and the family. And uh, this opportunity arose to come out to Austin to get this program started, this new kind of initiative. Um, I guess you could call it a school. We, we kind of call ourselves a, like a, a private educational association, a group of parents that really want to do something unique and, and grow their kids um, kind of with full sovereignty and full light and, and um, feed them the best food that we have access to. So I'm building the, the food program and cooking for about 100 every day. Um, and it is so, so awesome. It's so fun. This has got to be one of the most rewarding, it is the most rewarding job that I've ever done. Um, and I'm sure that we're going to dive into it as we talk today.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and when we were we had our pre-conversation, you, you mentioned that this is an it's in terms of the food. I mean it's farm to table, it's nose well, it's farm to table and nose to tail. Maybe just talk a little bit about what, what that's all about.
0: Yeah, well I think you know, you know me and you know my approach to cooking. And you know, those are kind of fun taglines, but ultimately it's this is going backwards. This is just cooking real food. Uh, in the way that the way that we've always done it right just kind of skipping over the last couple generations that has forgotten what it means to just show up and cook real food cook from the whole animal uh, meaning you know using the whole beast from head to tail literally um, and everything inside and in between Mm. right so there's a lot of bone broth of course with the bones uh, I was gifted a couple wild boar heads last month, and we made head cheese, and we talked about that with the kids and and showed them the heads, and that was, of course, thrilling for them. Um, <laughs> we get uh, liver especially into a lot of the ragus, and, and as we go today, we can talk about how this applies to the home cook for sure, uh, and what I'm doing is just, it's just scaled up a little bit because it's 100, it's about 80 kids and 20 faculty or so. Um, but it's no, it's really not that different than, than cooking for home. It's just larger quantities. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the nose to tail piece is really important and ultimately drew, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to do some, anything extra special food wise that, that I think at least is extra special. I'm just trying to show up and provide these kids and provide this community with the cleanest Kind of highest vibing food. This is the way I like to describe it, possible. And my hope is that the kids just naturally pick that up, and they they start to intuit what food is safe for them, what food vibes with them, right? Um, without me being didactic, um, if if I'm using that word properly. Mm. And Absolutely. telling them what they should be eating or what they shouldn't, right? I'm just showing up each day with a really kind of diverse spread of food and, and really hoping that they can kind of make their own decisions for what resonates with them. And I don't think there's a, that there's much greater gift that we can give our kids. And this is just an example with food that they kind of grow up and know themselves, you know, really well. And, um, without, without, without. You know, kind of being so susceptible to the outside noise, so to speak.
1: Absolutely, you know. And Aaron, you're the the first guest on the show that said he was gifted to wild boars' heads. I just have to say <laughs> that's, uh, but that, that that's that's amazing. But um, but but I love how you said you, you you say that about it's it's really about knowing themselves, and and cutting through all the noise because there's just so much noise out there regarding what you know all this nutritional so-called nutritional information or fast food, quick food and unhealthy food. Yeah. And they're, and the, and these kids are bombarded with it.
0: Yep. A hundred, a hundred percent.
1: And you did something that was fascinating to me, Aaron. So you, you actually did, I I thought this was amazing, but you did a chicken butchering class for second graders.
0: Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you know, part of the, part of the goal for, for this program moving forward is not to just have a school lunch program uh, that has awesome food. It's to integrate the school, uh, the kids in the school, but also the the community. So the parents as well, but integrate the students, especially through the rhythms of the kitchen, that the kitchen is an extension of the whole school. Right. And that as the kids progress through the years, they are woven into the fabric of these rituals so that, that when they finish, you know, when they go on, uh, right now, the school goes up to about eighth grade. They know how to cook. They know what it means to prepare food. All these rituals and these rhythms are just innate in them, right? So they don't go off into the world um, or grow into kind of young adulthood without these skills. So that's, that's my dream for them, right? Mm-hmm. And so the one piece, of course, is... You know having an, a sense of intuition around the foods that help them thrive but then of course okay how do i make this happen in, a, in the real world in the real world setting when i grow up when i go off to college when i have a family someday they're not going to be starting from scratch it's just a part of their education now and i think that this is something that we could be doing across the country across the world where we've got institutional settings that are an extension of the home right um and we you know of course we need to work on both of these things because the kids kids nowadays are not getting this education in their home right this was i think we spoke about it in our last conversation this used to be a rite of passage mm-hmm. you know this was always passed on generation to generation how to cook how to source how to grow right and so we're just kind of reclaiming that in this program more than anything else. Mm,
1: that, that's great. Are, are you seeing this in other places too, like catching on? Like I know you're in Austin, but are you seeing it in other places as well around the country? Well, or?
0: The reason why I'm here is through my friend Hillary, who has this incredible program in um, uh, near Los Angeles in Topanga called School of Lunch. Um, and she's the reason why I'm out here. We were going to be out here together. It didn't work out for them to come, um, so I'm kind of solo. But we're still working together and collaborating. Um, speaking of which, quick plug for Hillary. I'm going to be at her training program this summer, and it is going to be incredible. So if anyone is leading a kitchen or or just interested in diving to diving into kind of resetting their approach with food and going all in on a real food approach that training program is going to be awesome. So we can include that maybe in the notes later, Drew. Mm.
1: Is that going to be, Um, is that going to be in California?
0: Yeah, it's going to be in California. Uh, Actually, there's going to be two different weeks, um, two different options this summer, but she's definitely leading an amazing program. I've been to it. I've spent a week with her um, at her program in Topanga and it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, And I don't know, you know, I don't actually know of many more across the country. Um, and I would love to learn and I would love to to, to hear from people if they're listening, what they're working on, um, because I would love to learn from them what they're doing and what's working. But I do want to circle back because we we started talking about the chicken butchery class for second graders, Drew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for some, that might even seem inappropriate to expose little kids to a whole animal. Right. And And, and just to clarify, this is butchering. It's not killing the chickens. It's not which we we have done at the school as well, optionally, and kids could have come because um, we do a raise our own chickens now. But I really, w- I don't want to kind of skirt around these real conversations that, again, used to be a rite of passage. You know, we used to grow up, so many of us, either on small family farms or at least close to them. We used to go to butcher shops where the whole animal was much more normal, right? At least all the all the parts. And to me it's really essential for them to confront this idea and to grow a sacred relationship with the animal and have reverence for the animal and for this deep nourishment now, especially in such a confusing world where there's such kind of morality question pushed upon us on whether or not to even eat meat, right? Which was a whole other conversation that we could get into. Which has come up even in the school because look, I'm cooking for ages under three to kids that are you know going off to high school next year, and of course teachers that are you know pushing seventy. So there's a wide, wide range and a wide range of perspectives. Um, there's vegetarians at the school, so interesting conflict has arose in there. Um, I think that we just need to build a really welcoming and healthy, non-judgmental environment which i would hope that that was the world that we lived in live in right now but it's clearly not exactly the case and maybe we can dive into that drew mm. And i would love to hear your perspective on the state of things um in terms of this pressure for us to kind of do the right thing right thing for our food choices and how how mucky that can get when we're fighting perhaps our own physiology
1: absolutely absolutely well you know i'm just uh... So is is your son? Is he in second? Was he in? Was he part of this? The second? Grade? No, he's
0: in. He's in kindergarten. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he gets this at home, <laughs> right? That's right. <laughs> Every he's, day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For for anyone who hasn't seen, Aaron used to post great videos with him and his son cooking. His son was a star. He, I, you know, I, I miss those videos. I you got to yeah. tell him to get back uh, back in the kitchen making those videos again. Um. But um. So what was what was the reaction of the second graders? How did they? How did how did the class go?
0: You know, interestingly. Uh, you know, it's a mix. And some of these kids, one in particular, like there he goes hunting with his dad as a second grader. So the chicken was was not very intimidating for him when he's, you know, been a part of taking down deer and helping skin it. Um, and there was a wide array. And there was um for the most part interest and kind of fascination, and then a real desire to get in then get in there and learn. So we, you know, we had sharp knives out. You know, the director and I walked them through breaking down the carcass, you know, and separating the parts. And they, let me tell you, they were so focused on the process and understanding where the joints are and where to separate. It was so, so awesome. And that was just one example of this class. We've also done kind of, we we started with beginner knife skills. And by the way, I got sent videos from the parents and they they shared with me, and even took little snapshots, uh, snaps, snippets of their ki- their kids showing their younger siblings how to cut. Right, and I know this, You know, I've done this in some oh, of the wow. videos on Instagram and in my course. You know, how to kind of hold your your offhand and and how to you know glide the knife through what you're cutting. And it was so thrilling to get this feedback from the families. And and this is this speaks to the power that we have in this setting. Um, to provide this education and have it bleed into the home, I mean it was just so beautiful to see that 's amazing
1: you know aaron i 've heard you asked a great question and, and it reminded me of someone who's on the show before but but you you were you were speaking about what kind of foods do you deserve what kind of mm. foods do I deserve? what kind of foods do my family deserve and that 's such a great question and and using the word deserve and it reminded me of uh, years ago, we ha- I had a, a tra- great travel writer on the show, Ralph Potts. And, you know, I asked him, you know, if someone wants to get going and traveling, what should they do? And he's like, well, the, really, the first thing is you need to give yourself permission to travel, to be a world mm-hmm. traveler, give yourself that permission. And, and I thought about that, that point with you, when you're talking about by, by really asking that really important question, like what kind of foods do I deserve? Mm. And in a lot of ways, this could be like a great place to start for people by just simply asking that question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I begin my course. Actually, I kick it off with an invitation to meditate on this very question, meditate or journal, because I think some people, a lot of people skip over this and kind of um, go right in, you know, to the day to day and let it all unfold without really deciding what it is that they want out of food and their relationship with food. You know, and Drew, this is, of course, so loaded with... We all have our different backgrounds. We all have our different relationships with success, with abundance, with food, with what food should cost, with money, right? And um, I think there is such power in coming to a place where you can make comfortably the decision that this is a non-negotiable, mm. that you are going to get food right first. And when I say food, it's, it's not just food, it's all of our base fundamental physiological needs. I, I studied Maslow in high school and you know we went through the hierarchy of needs and I, I come back to him so often when I think of this work because we are pretending like we can just skip over you know, base level, our physiological needs, and pretend like we could possibly, you know, actualize and self-actualize this life without getting that right first. And we skip that, or we skip over that in our family environments, in our institutional environments. You better believe our government is is skipping over that, in in how we make policy and where we um, direct funding, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine a government that. And that you know looked at spending bills and things like that, and said, you know what, we are going to get this country or any country that that you know you live in, we are going to get our fundamental nutrition right first, truly right. We are going to get deep, deep nutrition, and then we're going to figure everything else out from there. And this kind of comes back to the school environment, and we can look at um, you know school funding and how much food is allocated to school lunch programs across the country and across the world. We can talk about what Americans spend in their households on food versus Europe, for example. To me, we need a complete reset and we need a complete kind of reevaluation and take a step back and do what you just kind of prompted to where we we ask ourselves, what are, what are we deserving of? You know, we are sold and marketed this idea that we deserve a really nice car, right? That drives really nice and, um, you know, makes us... Uh, you know, all of that just kind of feeds our, our, our ego, I suppose, um, in certain ways. But it also is just, I think um, it's misguided, right? We're skipping over. We're spending a lot of money on, on things that perhaps are not entirely essential. And I'm, and I'm saying this from the place. I would love to have a nice car. I love my <laughs> Honda CRV. It takes me places and gives me immense amount of freedom. But food is, is the main non-negotiable in our house. And Drew, can you just imagine if that were widespread? Mm-hmm. You know, and if we could get over some of our blocks, because I know so many of us have them myself included, that we truly are deserving of this, right? And that there's not a dollar amount um, too high, necessarily to go for that food that really, really resonates with us. And maybe we can dive a little bit into that where it's not just about the cost. it's about sourcing the food that really means something. When I say that means something, it's from someone that I know grew or raised or, um, you know, um, produced that food with, with just a lot of love with a lot of purpose, you know, and so much of the food, when you, when you go into the average grocery store, there's just no energy there, you know, there's just so little high vibing energy, right. And, to me, I, I spend the extra time, and there are plenty of times I don't really want to do this. I don't want to drive into Austin, you know, I'm almost an hour outside to go to the farmer's market. But once I'm there and once I'm rubbing elbows with the same familiar faces at the same farm stalls that I just trust so well, you know, where I get my raw milk, where I get my pasture-raised eggs that are not fed corn or soy, where I get a hundred percent grass-fed meat, right? And I invest, it's not just spending, I invest a lot of my income on get on, on those foods. And it's not just about deep nourishment for my family and, but it's also just utter joy. And I, and I get it. I know it's my thing and not everyone is so into necessarily the cooking or even, um, the food experiences, but I can definitely go to sleep at night knowing that I'm only filling the fridge and the pantry with food that i know is safe at the very least for my family and that had really high stakes this last year especially when my wife was pregnant and then now we've got this newborn and it all means that much more when i'm thinking you know i'm feeding my wife and then she's breastfeeding my infant son and i'm you better believe that i'm all in on maximizing that nutrition
1: absolutely absolutely and uh, so so for the school are you getting all the ingredients do you, do you get pretty much everything from farmers markets and local local places
0: yeah so we're we're blessed down here with this really awesome company called farm to table um so they're down here and they're they're both in Austin and Dallas and Houston and I think San Antonio and they're awesome because they source from local farms throughout Texas And I get this awesome order sheet every, they come out every Tuesday and Friday. So the day before I get an updated list and it's broken down by farm. So I can ask questions. I can reach out to the farms directly. I can vet them. I can understand, you know, whether or not they're using any pesticides. So we're all in on having 100% organic fruit or at the very least um, practicing organic ideally biodynamic. So again, this is this is food with real energy, right? Grown mm-hmm. with purpose. Um, they also have a great um, option of pasture-raised and grass-fed meats. A lot of those I source directly. We also get this, one of the dads and one of the founders in the school, and actually multiple dads are hunters. So we get the most pristine wild venison for our kids. Wow. <laughs> and I get, I mean, like literally, I'm, I get to serve wild venison tenderloin. I mean, this would be, this would be $40 on a plate in the city and I'm, you know, I'm serving it to nursery school kids.
1: So, I mean, Aaron, I'm in my forties, but can I join the seventh grade and just come to the school and take part in all this?
0: Come on Andrew. Yeah. (laughs) Can you 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 imagine? (laughs) Yeah. I would love to redo middle school for sure. Where I was eating industrialized pizza and Hawaiian punch for sure. (laughs) So,
1: you know, I, I heard you speak about, and and this speaks to what you what you were just talking about about how you deserve you know the best food, family deserves the best food, nourishing food, and I love how you say, and so I organize my life to accomplish this first. everything comes after this, everything mm-hmm. and i mean that's that's a big statement about organizing you know with this idea of food first
0: because mm-hmm. yeah. that
1: really changes i mean in in most. I would imagine most people, it's probably a last thing, you know, there's work, there's other commitments. And then at the end of the day, it's, you know, throw something, throw something together, but it's sure not the first thing.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a
1: complete, that's a complete paradigm shift right there.
0: Yeah. And that comes back to getting clear on, you know, the relationship with food that you want. And I think by skipping over that exercise, we are just kind of allowing it to unfold you know, unconsciously. And this is a, this is an area that we really need to bring consciousness to. And, you know, so much also, you know, I know that some people listening are going to, they might be single, but a lot of the, a lot of the people listening probably are in a relationship. They might be married. They might have kids. So much power comes from being on the same page with your spouse or your partner and your kids and communicating with your kids. Right. Um, because if you've got one partner that's eating a certain way or isn't all in, it can be really challenging. And I applaud my wife for being so all in with me. And there, because there are times where I'm like, "Hey, we're late for whatever. And we're trying to get out of the house," and she's like, "We have got to pack the food." And and it might be <laughs> it might be a, a like a flight that we're going to get on. Right, we're going to go back to Portugal this summer, and you better believe my wife is going to be thinking ahead and planning better than i actually with what we're going to bring on the plane because we are not going to eat that crap we're just not going to it's just not worth it you've got this one life to live this beautiful etheric body we're not going to eat that crap and it's not even good right so when you're clear on your on your um kind of your line in the sand and when you really when you really believe you are deserving of the best food it's worth the extra half hour or hour or a few hours to get in the kitchen and prepare the most freaking delicious nourishing food that you have access to, right? And I know that is different from all of us and it can look different for for all of us, right? And and we haven't even gotten into like what does it mean to me? Like what do you, you know you're a chef Aaron, you can make all these things. We cook this this the simplest stuff at home. And my god, if you can just take the time to go spend a little bit more on the best eggs, for example, in the world and boil them before heading out. So you've got this incredibly nutrient dense, delicious food and you're not scrambling to feed your kids or go through the drive-through. It's like, oh, let's just grab a couple of eggs. And oh, by the way, we pack really good, you know, Redmond's real salt in our shaker or we always have that in the car. You're just prepared. Mm. And, you know, and then maybe we can kind of segue from the power that we have in community, when more and more households are approaching food this way and when and how that can bleed into our our friends and our communities and in how we're kind of um positively influencing each other because so much of this the success of this program to be able to feed kids in an environment where you only have healthy food right so much of the power is that they're eating in community, that mm. the kindergartners and the nursery school kids, for example, all eat together around a table and they're all they're all welcomed to eat the same food. And I try to make it really diverse so that there's no matter what something that they will eat, there is never any pressure. There's never any pressure for them to try anything. We try anything. We welcome them to try things. Right. We. We also reserve no judgment whether or not they eat anything or not. We're very careful with language so that we don't talk about good eaters or picky eaters, right? Mm. I think that is that is often overlooked, right? Where we we have this, such um, almost like a reward system, you know, baked into a lot of these things where, you know, you, you I think it's a really slippery slope to perhaps, you know, reward kids with dessert if they eat their vegetables, which by the way... I don't talk about, we don't talk about, you know, this idea about eating your vegetables or eating your meat for that matter, and kind of defining too much power to one or the other, right? That one is is good or bad. It's just, it's all here. It's, you're, you're welcome to kind of taste and to experience, to observe your, your friends and then at your own pace, try, um, and that, that in itself is a really interesting thing to maybe dive into further. Yeah. Because I think all of this is very confusing and it's hard for parents to know what the right approach is here.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's huge. You just said a lot of things, Aaron, <laughs> because yeah. I mean, the community piece that you brought up is huge. Cause I'll be honest here in the Northeast, sometimes I feel like I'm a man living on an Island Yeah. Um, in the way, in the way I eat. But, it. but you also said about the, just the confusion that, that parents and just people face. I mean, what do you, how does someone, you know, the average person, you know, maybe not, not living in, in Austin, but could be anywhere in some small town or some city. How, how, how do you recommend they navigate all of the information and that's that's Mm. thrown at them
0: yeah so we go through that exercise i welcome everyone listening just find a quiet moment and meditate on this and just get kind of really quiet and go within and ask yourself and maybe just assess things are you okay with where you're at could you do better and when i say better could you Tweak things in a way that would make you feel better about the foods you're eating, the foods you're bringing into, home, in the, into the home, in a way that would get you more excited, that would get your kids more excited, that would make you feel perhaps or, or let go of any shame or guilt that you have over feeding, you, feeding your, yourself or your kids things that maybe you kind of intuit are not ideal And then, you know, from that space, I know I keep on coming back to that exercise, because from that space, you can decide, you just, but you have to decide, you know what, I'm only going to bring these things into the home. And what do I, what do I mean by these things? Okay. So and I, I spelled this out in the course, just from my own approach, I don't buy crap. Okay. And what is crap to me? I don't buy commercial industrialized packaged stuff. Okay. I buy real foods, whole foods, real fruit and vegetables. If you don't have access to organic, it's okay if, you know, it's all about meeting yourself where you're at, right? If you are in a food desert and you can only get whatever produce you can get, whatever meat you can get, as long as it's real, right? Go for it now. At least get that that process started now. And you can always grow towards, okay, I'm going to seek out now the 100% grass fed is there a place that delivers? Is there, go on, you know, Azure Standard, for example, and see if they have a local um, drop-off where you could pick up really high-vibing food. Um, is there stuff on Amazon, you know, that you could get? And then just decide, okay, I'm not going to fill my pantry with any vegetable oil, for example. This one decision would be huge. I'm sure, Drew, you've probably had guests that talk about the dangers of seed oils mm. um, and and how they are just, They are really not food fit for humans, right? So what fats do I cook with? It's either whole butter, ideally grass-fed, or clarified butter if you have issues with dairy or if you want to cook with high heat. I I teach you how to make that, by the way, in the cooking course because it can get so expensive in the store. Extra virgin olive oil that I'm really cautious with with getting too hot, but cook with some but finish with a lot. And we can talk about how to source uh, olive oils that are clean as well extra virgin coconut oil, which, you know, you can buy in bulk that, you know, it's really not crazy expensive. And by the way, it's great on your skin too. I love having it around. It's a go-to. And then using animal fats, okay? And shedding this, you know, uh, this idea that animal fats are making us fat or causing heart disease. It is just a fallacy, okay? And, And if you look historically, it just makes no sense, right? Um, our ancestors were eating the whole beast. They were eating the fat in the animal and using it to cook with, and it was celebrated nutrition. We need to get back to doing that. Now, ideally, we are consuming the fat of you know pasture-raised um, animals, you know, 100% grass-fed, ideally. Um, but those are kind of my my big four, right? Your ghee or your butter, your extra virgin olive oil, your co your virgin coconut oil, and your animal fats. Um, I love you know, especially beef tallow, that's my go-to rendered chicken fat from, from pasture raised animals a little bit. Um, and you can definitely get into pork fat if you're, um, especially if you're getting really high, um, quality pork, I kind of veer away from it. If it's, if it's factory pork, I'm not touching it. I'm definitely not Mm. touching the fat where a lot of toxins can get stored. Mm. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, But let me just finish quickly. And that's, those are kind of like, that's, that's my approach to fats. For example, I made a decision years ago before I even had a family that I'm just, I'm not going to buy white sugar, that it just has no place in my home. That's not to say I don't dig baking, but I just do a swap for coconut sugar. Right. And then we don't eat a lot of it, but if I'm going to make something, I use coconut sugar. I find that it doesn't really have the glycemic spike. I know it's not perfect. It's still sweet. But it's either coconut sugar, raw honey, which we eat in abundance, and maple syrup. Those are my sweeteners of choice. There's nothing else that ever enters the home. Um, And those are actually the kind of – those are two really big ones. I don't buy white flour. We don't actually cook with a lot of flour. I do use um, Oto's cassava flour, which I really dig for some things. We make tortillas. Um, And those are kind of like the big-ticket items that even if you just get that right first, first, and of course your, your main focus is the best quality meats, the best quality fruits and produce. And then you're, you're off and running, you're mm. off and running and you can supplement, you can eat some nice, you know, basmati rice or jasmine rice that you really, you know, really like. Um, we kind of, we, we don't like to do too much of that. We do do some bread. Um, We get this amazing sourdough bread um, that is next to a mill that mills it freshly that we eat sometimes too. And it's just that simple. It's that simple.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And so for people that need some guidance in any of these areas, so Aaron has some great, these are online programs, right? Aaron, if anyone wants to sign up, we can put this in the show notes and they can. Absolutely. uh...
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm calling the course in this kind of relaunch, the family food reset. And so this really is an invitation to reset and, um, and just kind of reset your approach, but also dive into the cooking process with me and with Rafa, because he's in the course as well in the instructional videos and it's, it's videos. Um, it's also guides. I kind of provide you with my framework and my personal approach that you can print off and just kind of put on your fridge. There's a ton of recipes that you can also print off. And to me, it it sets you up and gives you a template. And of course, I want you to dive in and make it your own, right? Um, it's it's as much about getting really good and kind of um, kind of like savvy in the kitchen, so that whatever your approach in terms of the cuisine, you feel like you can pull it off. You know, all throughout the week, I kind of there are a lot of cues to get you thinking a lot more like a cook in a restaurant in your own home. And before you know it, if you cook with me through these weeks, it will become so much more intuitive. You'll feel so much more flow. I hope that you'll find so much more joy and that you'll love the food that you come up with along the way. Beautiful, beautiful.
1: You know, a lot a lot of what you speak about, Aaron, it, it echoes, I had a guest on months ago, Dr. Stephen Hussey. Who had a very serious heart attack, and then he really just completely transformed his diet and and everything. And he talks about having a solid philosophy of health mm. instead of choosing the next best thing. And I and I and I and I I've always loved that idea because you know when when push comes to shove and you're thrown you know and then a lot gets thrown at you if you can have that philosophy of health or that philosophy of food. As you say, Aaron, you know that that's sort of non-negotiable. It's your line mm-hmm. in the sand. Yeah, that that can make things easy.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. And you know, it makes you you're kind of cueing me to another thought, and it makes me think about the power that we give to these things, um, which we also need to, I think, be cognizant of and be careful of. And and you're right, Drew, that when you come to uh, this, this philosophy and you come to a way of living, it brings um, a sense of calm and a centeredness in your life so that there's not anxiety anymore about these things, right? Because you've made your decision and you're comfortable with it. And for me, that means that I allow you know, these experiences outside of the home, especially to go out to eat. And maybe, you know, maybe I eat some, eat something sometimes that I don't even know exactly the ingredients, right? Maybe I had a grass fed burger, but I'm not sure what was in the bun, for example, right? There was a time in my life where I gave too much power to that bun, you know, (laughs) and I convinced myself like that was unhealthy. And then you can convince yourselves of all the symptoms in the world, right? I think even though there are these dangers out there in our foods, right? I do think that we have unbelievable power in our bodies to move through these things and that our mind-body relationship is as essential as anything else. So if we can have a sense of calm and a sense of peace around these decisions, right, that we're not filled with anxiety over these choices because we've gone through these exercises, right, We've created this. How did he describe it? Stephen, Hussey? you mentioned? Oh, a
1: uh, solid philosophy of health.
0: A philosophy of health. Yeah. And then it's not in your head philosophy, right? It's just is a way of living.
1: Mm.
0: Um, it's just, um, to me, that was actually a big challenge. And it was a hill to, to overcome for me. And that's, not, and that's to say that our job is kind of always done, right? But I, you know, you know, I remember last year and I thought about you asking me you know, what your daily rituals are to kind of help help me to be well and, and thrive. And at the time, I was meditating every morning, um, trying to exercise a lot. And interestingly, in this move, a lot of that has kind of fallen, right? And kind of magically, life is really kind of unfolding beautifully these months and, and through this move. And I think it's because I have kind of worked my way into this shift of exactly what you're describing. I just am feeling calm about our approach to living, you know, in a, in a way that I wasn't necessarily before, especially when we brought our first son into the world. Um, so I forgot where we started off on this, but <laughs> I, th- I think this is this, that that is everything drew. Mm. I think that's everything, but it definitely takes a bit of a process to arrive, arrive there. Right. Um, no question.
1: Whenever I talk to you, Aaron, my I find I don't know if people can hear this, but my stomach starts growling like crazy. Um, <laughs> so because I, I know Aaron is such a great chef and cook and maybe that's why, what it is. But but, you know, I also wanted to ask you, Aaron, about the dad's group and the men's group you're involved. I found I found this really fascinating because you aside from doing all the work you've been mentioned, you're also heavily involved in these other groups. I, I'd love for you to speak a little bit about about that.
0: Yeah, that was one of the amazing gifts of our move to Portugal was I happened upon this men's circle that I went to one night. And I'll never forget, I wasn't going to go. And then somebody in the group messaged and said, hey, you know, show up, man, like, we'd love to see you there. And I did, I was prompted by that message. And from that first men's circle, which was a very vulnerable place, we shared openly, we did some really cool kind of like body like we you know we we moved together exercised a little bit together um sat in a circle and shared extremely vulnerably and that kind of kicked off something in me i was like this is this is something this is this is cathartic this is something i need there are there are emotions there is stuff that's down there that i need to process and so I started going bi-weekly to this men's circle that led to going to men's retreats that were so beautiful and intense, you know, from Temescal ceremonies to cold plunges um, that I've become addicted to. And, and so, you know, when you bring up the dad's group that we started at the school, I, I brought up in one of our first meetings, one, the, kind of, the kind of stuff that I'd love to do together, to grow together, to push ourselves. And I find that cold exposure is one of the most amazing gifts that we have access to, to learn more about our bodies and our minds and what we're capable of. So yeah, this Saturday, this past Saturday, um, on a Saturday morning, my friend Ted, um, who inspired this, he's, he's been into cold plunging as well. He got a little metal trough, you know, and he drives right by this ice place and he filled it up. And I was in that ice at seven in the morning before I went off to a catering event that I had that Saturday Mm. And I got in that ice. And no matter how uncomfortable it is, you know, as you're settling in, you just kind of settle. And, and you have no choice when you're in that cold to become uber, uber present, which I think is one of the best gifts. You have no choice, you have to really focus, you need to slow your breathing, and you need to go inside and you need to remember why it is that you're alive on this planet, what it means to be alive. And then you get out and you're realizing, wow, I can do this, not just getting into cold water, I can I can thrive in this life, I can accomplish my goals, I can be the dad that I want to be and the husband and the colleague and the community member, the mentor to these kids, hopefully in this space that, that I, I'll speak for myself, am capable of it all, I'm worthy of it all, I can have all of this, I can organize my life really well to fulfill my dreams and provide for my family. And you know, I remember driving home Saturday and this always strikes me when you get out of the cold or experience this all of a sudden you smell more acutely, you hear things, I was observing nature in a way so much more acutely than 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 otherwise in my daily rhythms. And I think it's because that moment of presence, that kind of invitation that the cold offers to really become present, it bleeds into your days and your, and your week. And I think a lot of the research that Wim has done and people are on cold therapy, um, you know, say that, that those two minutes is all you need and it really sets you up for an entire week. So can you imagine? And even if it's a cold shower for the two minutes every Sunday or whatever it is to reset, I think that it is such a way to up level, um, and challenge ourselves and bring bringing ourselves to our center to, to really explore how we can kind of step into ourselves a little bit more. So yeah, that dad's group. And, and the, re- the reason why I think it's powerful to bring this up because, and this is another example, this is the power that we have in community to push each, other or push each other in a positive way. And that can be, of course, a positive thing. It can be a negative thing. And this is why there are cities or towns that don't want to allow a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A to come into their town because that affects the community negatively, right? And so the more good that we can do and the more that we can push each other to show up and eat the best foods, to show up and spend our time to push our bodies in really healthy ways, to push our minds and our spirits in different ways, that means something. And that's why I think, you know, and this is I think why I was called to do this work in community here, that I was, it was a missing link. You know, I've been so excited to do this online project but I was missing this in-person piece and I'm, I'm seeing it kind of come together and unfold because I'm doing this work in person with people right in front of me. And the impact is, is real.
1: Do you see yourself being in Austin for, for quite a while now or.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We, we love the community that we found here. It's actually, it's amazing. It's similar to Portugal that we found. We just started to find like minds, Um, And people that we just felt so comfortable and at home with and the same has unfolded here. Our dream scenario is to kind of have both, you know, and that's why we're going back to Portugal and we would love to go back summers and and, um, kind of have homes in both places Um, would be be such a dream, you know, to be able to just go back and, and back and forth.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So Aaron, as we, as we bring this to a close, is there anything else that you you'd like to uh, bring up or share anything else on your mind that you wanted to, to throw out there?
0: No, I think I, you know, I'm so grateful Drew, for, yeah, I think we did. I'm, I'm so grateful for you and the, and the conversations that you are having um, and the sparks that I know are flying in the listeners and these little prompts um, that I hope today happened throughout, um, they're everything. Cause a lot of times we just need, you know, we humans are funny. We just need those subtle nudges sometimes, you know, and these invitations. And I hope more than anything, this is an invitation to dive into this part of our lives a little bit more and explore and, um, and see what we can come up with as always. Like I like to say with an open mind an open heart and with curiosity and never with judgment definitely letting go of the shame and the guilt especially as parents that we can have let's let go of that stuff guys you know I did it I still come back to it sometimes and when I do I just have to center myself and let go and process it and move forward so let's do that together
1: yeah, absolutely. I, lo- I love the spirit of community that, that comes out with you. And uh, Aaron, where can people go if they want to learn more about you or we'll put it in the show notes, but anything you want to mention as far as where they can go to to learn about yeah, you in this yeah, work?
0: Yeah. So I do promise you, Drew, I'm going to get going with the videos again. Um, my absence from Instagram since I started this gig has been a testament to just how present I've been in this work with these kids every day. But I do um, plan to get that really active again. So if you can follow my Instagram at, at Chef Aaron Goldstein, you can check out my website that I'm going to put a lot of love into. And I've actually reposted our um, uh, my new course at cookandlive.co. And yeah, the course is called The Family Food Reset. I invite everyone to dive in, to do the course. Reach out to me before you. Uh, before and after you sign up. And I'd be more than willing to spend some time with you as you're working your way through. Um, I'm working with some institutions, by the way, to collaborate that are putting their uh, my course on their websites and, again, building the community. And I'm working with their communities as they go through it. So it's all really thrilling, and I think it's so worth it to do this work.
1: Awesome. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on today, my friend.
0: Thank you, Drew. I love you,
1: man. Thank you for listening to the Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.